0: Good evening everyone and welcome to our program tonight. My name is Sandra Gwynn and I am the president of Great Falls Cascade County Crime Stoppers. And on behalf of our board I want to welcome you all here tonight to our program. Community safety, good for our community, good for our businesses. So I do want to welcome those of you who are here in person and also those that are joining us online. I want to be very clear that tonight, Crime Stoppers is not advocating for the levy. We're here to educate. And we're happy that you're joining us, particularly too tonight, because many of you probably don't know this, but October is National Crime Prevention Month. So you're helping to recognize that by being involved in our program tonight. I hope that when you leave here tonight, and I know I speak on behalf of the board, that you leave educated, regardless of how you feel about the levy, whether you, you may not even vote at all, but be educated about the decision you make. Because this is one of the things that Crime Stoppers in the last few years discovered. Most of our board were professionals in the community, were out and about. And we found out that there's a lot of people out there that don't know a lot about crime. They know it exists, but they don't know a lot about it. And so our board decided a few years ago to uh, expand our mission to include community programming. And that's where we are here tonight. Uh, This year, our board decided to focus on the public safety levy. So we're here to learn. It's going to be a little bit different tonight. You are going to hear about the levy, but you're also going to be hearing some comments about how crime and other aspects of the levy affect our businesses. So it's a little bit different perspective that we're very happy to hear tonight. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn the microphone over to our moderator, Kevin Yonkin, who is a member of our Crime Stoppers Board.
1: All right, thank you guys. Thank you very much for everyone for showing up tonight. We did have a program with several of these. Uh, folks here in August, and that focused more on uh, the youth in the community, whereas this one will focus more on the businesses. Uh, before we start, we're going to start with a uh, short video, and, but before we start, I'd like you to know who, who we've got sitting up here. We've got Greg Doyen, the city manager, Captain Rob Moxon from Great Falls Police Department, Mike McIntosh, the assistant fire chief. David Dennis, city attorney; Judge Steve Bolstad, municipal court judge; and Kelly Pierce, the executive director of the business improvement direct, uh, director of the business improvement director and the downtown business association. I screwed that all up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize about that. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with the video first.
2: Great Falls has always been a community where quality of life is the number one priority. This is the desire and expectation of every citizen who calls Great Falls home. It's been over 50 years since Great Falls voters have passed public safety funding. Since 1969, the footprint of our city has grown by 44%, and the strain on our public safety system continues to increase. Our public safety departments, police, fire, legal, and courts are experiencing the effects and so is our community.
3: What impacts are we seeing from the funding shortage? Great Falls Fire Rescue has an average response time of six minutes. That's two minutes longer than the nationally recommended standard. Not sure what the significance of two minutes is? A structure fire doubles in size every minute.
2: Every single structure fire requires 15 firefighters. Great Falls Fire Rescue can only staff approximately 13 firefighters at any given time. 50% of the time, more than one fire or medical emergency occurs simultaneously.
3: Assaults on Great Falls police officers have increased 133% since 2018. And police officers continue to see an increase in violent crime and persons resisting arrest.
2: Fire and emergency medical calls have increased 700% since 1969. First responders can only adequately address one major incident at a time.
3: Heavy caseloads are impacting the legal requirements to receive a speedy trial. This means cases are resulting in more plea deals because of inadequate trial times.
2: There are only four school resource officers for over 11,000 students and staff at 20 Great Falls Public Schools. SROs play an important role in mentoring youth and proactively deterring crime and conflict at schools.
3: Great Falls Fire Rescue recently received a lower rating from the Insurance Services Office due to lack of proper coverage for a geographical area. This will cause property insurance rates to rise, with businesses feeling the most significant impacts.
2: Due to the growth of the city, the natural increase in inflation, and limits on tax revenue funding accessible by law, A public safety levy will increase public safety funding for additional personnel, training, and fundamental resources and equipment.
3: The safety levy will cost approximately $280.11 a year, which is $23.34 a month for a home with an assessed market value of $200,000 if milled to the maximum.
2: Funding from the levy will keep the city's public safety resources running adequately to service the growth of our city. It will include 22 sworn police officers as well as two school resource officers along with equipment and training to address rising crime, two additional 911 dispatchers to enhance resources for emergencies, 32 firefighters, safety equipment and training to increase coverage and response times, eight new court and legal positions and software to improve the efficiencies of our overloaded court and legal system new equipment and resources to keep our first responders efficient effective and safe
3: what is your expectation for the future of public safety in great falls the proposed safety levy will be on your november 7th election ballot make your voice heard on this issue and learn more at safetyinthefalls.com
1: okay we'll start with some Remarks from the panelists here. Uh, they've got about 10 minutes apiece, and then we'll go move into a Q&A session So I'll start with uh, Your your left to right start with Greg Doyen the city manager
4: Thank you Kevin, and thank you Crime Stoppers for hosting uh, tonight's Event and having us back. I appreciate that just want to recognize Mayor Bob Kelly and Commissioner Susan Wolfe in the audience And then there's a couple of members of the uh, Great Falls City team, uh, Rachel Darlington, who oversees records, Karen Young, 911 center uh, manager, then Mark Dunn, who's currently a prosecutor with the city. So thanks again for having us to talk about the public safety levy and the bond. We're here to educate, not to advocate, just to make that clear. And we're here by uh, invite. If we don't answer your question tonight or you want more information, we always want to make sure that residents know that they can go to safetyinthefalls.com and check out that webpage. There's a lot of responses to frequently asked questions on there that will help you understand a little bit more about the bond and the levy. So tonight's topic is crime and its impact on business. And uh, for many of us who have been just flatly talking about the public safety and levy and bond, this is kind of fun because it's a little bit of a different Uh, take on the impact of crime on the community. But there's no doubt in my mind that when a community experiences an increase in crime, uh, it has an impact on business attraction, on business retention, and business operations. And I thought it would be interesting for me to speak a little bit about, from a broad perspective, how local government sets the stage for successful industry growth in the community. So if you were to go and talk to any elected official across the country, they would basically state this very similar desires about economic uh, health in their community. They would describe that they want a vibrant community uh, that is healthy. And I thought about some of the measures of that. Um, and the first one is the growth. That uh, in a healthy, vibrant community, you're going to see uh, growth that is not Unchecked and uh, going crazy, but you're going to see moderate growth that's measured and, uh, and Making sure that the resources keep up with it. You're going to look for uh, favorable economic development opportunities and this is not an all-inclusive list uh, It's just some thoughts to kind of get your uh, minds going on the business front here um, That you have a workforce that's skilled and educated that there's opportunities for that workforce that there's a system that feeds the workforce, like educational systems in the community and training uh, opportunities or organizations, that there's available property in the community to grow and establish a business, that the community has a good transportation system and the logistics to support certain types of industries and services, that the socioeconomics are a good mix, that there's disposable income, that there's a population that is there that can be served by a variety of businesses that will meet different books of businesses as they look to locate in a, in a community, a city, or a town. That there's mixed housing availability, that you have a good rental inventory, that you have a good single family inventory that, um, again, that there's capacity uh, to support uh, living arrangements, uh, that there's available infrastructure and capacity in that in infrastructure, including technology. And I'm talking about things like water and sewer and storm water, that as businesses come to locate, uh, there's available resources to provide those basic essentials to those businesses and industries. And last but not least, and perhaps most important, is public safety. If the community doesn't feel safe or is in the news all the time because of violent crime stats, It's really hard to attract businesses and industry to a community where that is all they see or hear in the media. Businesses and employees, entrepreneurs, they want a sense of safety in the community. They want a responsive public safety posture. They want to have confidence in the ability of the city to deliver fire, police, uh, prosecution, legal services, uh, court adjudications. They want to make sure that that capability is there. So business attraction, development, and retention is inherently linked to public safety in my mind. And I've, in my tenure, I've seen this concern on uh, many different fronts here in Great Falls. Um, For example, response capability to industry. Uh, Mac may remember discussions that we had with industry about whether or not we could provide confined space entry and technical rescue and uh, some of the challenges that we had in providing that to some of our uh, industries along with hazardous material response. Downtown businesses, which you'll hear more about a little bit later, addressing everything from um, patron theft to homeless behavior that you have seen or heard about in the downtowns has been a real uh, challenge uh, large industries not to call anyone out of them in particular but I just think of Walmart since we have two of them here I think the number of shoplifting calls that the PD responds to uh, at that at those two businesses is would would rock your world fair to say. Uh, you could probably station a police officer there just to handle the amount of uh, shoplifting cases that they end up having to investigate. It's not just true of Walmart, again, not calling them out, but any large retail or department stores experiencing that. I mean, why do you think you're seeing things like the cameras in the aisles, and when you walk down an aisle, it beeps to make you look at the camera to let you know As a deterrent? Or if you are gonna buy face soap, you have to pre-purchase it before you go out the front because it's in an area due to heavy shoplifting. These are all little indications of the challenges that retailers are facing with crime in their businesses. And then I think of drug uh, interdiction issues, and that's been talked about a lot during our presentations. During the Great Falls Crime Task Force, we had the resident agent in charge of Montana uh, visit with us uh, several times uh, from the DEA. And uh, she spent uh, considerable length describing the flow of drugs from the south uh, up the major interstate into Montana, not only into the urban areas for distribution, but into the smaller communities as well. And I think if there's one theme that we've heard through this uh, entire discussion about uh, law enforcement needs, it's been that uh, because of drugs, drug addiction, and the need to support the habits, there's been a considerable impact uh, on theft. And also the other night when we were talking about the impact on our EMS system, uh, the amount of Narcan usage and Great Falls Fire Rescue responses Uh, to uh, drug overdoses is is, uh, really crazy. So for funsies, I uh, googled crime in Great Falls today, and here's what I got. This is the first thing that popped up. It was from a website entitled Neighborhood Scout. Let me read to you what it says. With a crime rate of 51 per 1,000 residents, Great Falls has one of the highest crime rates in America compared to all communities of all sizes, from the smallest towns to the very largest cities. One's chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime here is 1 in 20. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or looking to locate a business here in Great Falls, and you want to know what the crime statistics are like, and you Google that, that's what you get. And I can't see how that wouldn't have an impact on our ability to grow businesses in the community. And if you've heard us talk about our operational uh, needs, I can see that fracturing occurring at, at all levels of the public safety continuum. And it certainly doesn't help when we get web-based taglines like this. Looking ahead, I, I, I don't see that this growth in Great Falls that we've experienced, it's not super robust like Bozeman, but definitely there's been a change there. It's gonna cease anytime uh, soon. I think that the secret is out about Great Falls, that we're the most affordable large city in the state of Montana. I was just talking to a professional this, uh, this afternoon who said, I want to move to Great Falls. Now she lives in Big Fork, but she's watching the growth occur in the Flathead, and is basically getting priced out, looking to relocate, and uh, just admiring everything that Great Falls has to offer, including its accessibility to all good things in Montana. And I think that COVID boosted uh, boosted that, we know, people looking for um, options to get out of the urban areas and then looking ahead again. Sentinel, the project that Malmstrom will undergo to update its ICBMs is going to be uh, significant and will have a pretty big impact on the community. The Public Safety levying Bond, two separate questions, it really helps uh, move the dial on the city's overall response posture. Uh, Whether it's uh, in the city attorney's office, the court, or the Great Falls Fire Rescue, or or the police department, it's uh, proposed to add resources and critical areas needed to deal with current needs that we have, and uh, a little bit into the future, and it really helps the city move us into a more proactive response posture than a reactive one. So look forward to your questions after you hear everybody's opening remarks, and thank you for your attention.
1: Thanks, Greg. Next up is Captain
4: Rob Moxon.
1: Uh,
5: Thank you for having me tonight, and thanks everybody for being here. Um, Like uh, City Manager Doyen mentioned, um, I'm here to just educate and give as much information as you you may have uh, questions. I'm going to give you some basic information in the beginning, just to kind of give you an idea of what the police department, how we make decisions, where we're at currently, uh, and some crime stats as far as it it concerns uh, business, businesses in in our community. Um, First of all, uh, we use what we call a priority matrix, which we we look at crime, traffic, and quality of life. Crime being number one, traffic, quality of life, those are the three things that we want to affect. And those are the decisions that we make, uh, whether it's personnel, the shifts, where they're working, and, and what type of crimes we actually may work uh, and the investigative Services Bureau which I oversee um, internally within the department we place the community and our department and itself when we make decisions we want the community is number one and if we make a decision we want to make sure that it's benefiting our community first and then our department and then the individual the individuals ourselves um, currently there's three uh, Methods used to staff police departments, um, this has been, one of them is, has been around as long as I have, about 35 years. Uh, you look at a, the population of your city and for every thousand uh, residents, you look at 1.8 to 2.6 officers per. And what that means for us, if we use that method, the, the low end, we'd, we'd have to be sitting at 108 police officers. We're currently sitting at 92. And on the high end, um, the 2.6, we'd be sitting at 156 officers that are recommended for best practices. We currently use what we call a budgetary decision, which basically means whatever the budget is within the city itself kind of determines how many police officers we have to to hire. Another one that I'm really interested in is our data-driven approach to that but that's going to take uh, somebody a lot smarter than than myself to really look at the data and delve into it as an analyst would and say, okay, how much is it taking for an officer to work a a certain type of crime? How much is it to do, you know, the simple tasks of a traffic stop? And, okay, based on what we're doing, how many officers should we have to adequately provide an efficient and effective police force? Um, that that is one of the you know right now we looked at uh, we did a, a basically our own study uh, where we determined that our officers have one hour per per a ten hour 10, 1067 hour shift and that one hour of free time it's not all at all at once you get five minutes here ten minutes there and you look at. At crime, you look at your priority matrix. Where do you think our traffic and our our quality of life issues are, are being spent? We just they just don't have time to do those things usually. We they try to do their best and they do as much as they can, but they just don't have enough uh, personnel at the t- at right now to, to really handle those. You know, we had some crime force or task force recommendations from from the city committee that went to the city commission. I think we've implemented implemented a lot of those, but that requires, um, you know, saying adding a person to the Safe Trails Task Force. We just don't have anybody to do that, which is a FBI task force to, to target violent crime and different things. But we are trying to do those, and we look at grants and things like that to fund us, fund equipment, uh, training, and that type of uh, thing that we do need, so we're we're trying to do our best to follow those recommendations. Now what we're asking for is up to 24 officers, and what that would include is 12 patrol officers, uh, four patrol supervisors, uh, five additional investigators, two SROs, which is part of the Investigative Services Bureau, one critical incident uh, trained officer, and our civilian staff would look at another two dispatchers. We definitely need a crime analyst to really help us through a lot of these issues and how to tackle crime. Uh, we would ask, the, the ask is, is for one records bureau person to help with all the, the mountainous records that we have to keep. Everything we do is documented and it has to go somewhere and be stored properly, so we can look at it later. Uh, we need another evidence technician. Um, to handle all the evidence, you'd be amazed at how much evidence is sitting in our building and how much we we take in every day and every year. And you know, and, and then you look at how much evidence we're able to purge out of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel. It's around 10,000 pieces of evidence, or we get rid of every every year. But we take in a lot more than that, and we're just <laughs> we're just running out of space for that. So we have to be innovative. Rachel is doing a great job at that. Um, currently, our department is down twelve patrol officers, and that's just basically uh, whether they're on light duty because they got injured, because there we got people resisting arrest. Um, you know, we got people that are assaulting our officers. We got people that an individual that shot one of our officers this year, and he's going a. You know, it's going to take quite a while for that individual to heal properly um we we have three squads per team which we have two teams in our patrol bureau and average of those is about four to five per squad they should be sitting at eight or even i think a better number is 10 to be able to have enough officers to deal with like the, the crime tra- traffic inequality <laughs> life issues that we we're, we're trying to deal with uh, dispatch uh, who handles all the police side the sheriff's office, all the fire, the medical, you know, they're they're down six dispatchers and just trying to trying to hire um, dispatchers is, is well Karen would, would agree that it's extremely difficult because it, you know it is it is hard work and you work long hours and, and they're open twenty four seven. So, you know, we, we're currently looking at how to how to improve that. You know, one of the things that most people don't think about is how, you know, patrol officers and investigators um, um, actually prioritize calls. We have to make a prioritization of those calls. Uh, investigations is very difficult because we see a lot, of, a lot of different types of crimes, whether it's sexual abuse, child abuse, you know, uh, homicides, robberies, burglaries and those major frauds and thefts, and sometimes we have to prioritize those, and, and some get pushed to the side for for an extended period of time until we can get to them, because we have a, a priority call that comes up. Um, you know, one of the, I got a short period of time left, but I want to kind of talk a little bit about um, how, uh, what it looks like that really affects our, our, our businesses and, and our community. You know, we're sitting at, Currently, about 3.8 shoplifts or thefts a day, uh, 10 disturbances, a lark Um You got one every three days, we get a new sex offense. Um, and the SBU folks, they, they work about 328 cases a year for four investigators. And that involves you know, child abuse and, and sexual uh, assaults. We have, our officers are currently answering about 109 calls per day. Right now, we've been tracking, and that's usually right up about the 120 uh, calls per day. And that's dispatch is, is, is quite a bit more calls coming in just to them. That's just the police side. Um, one of the things that, that I want to mention for sure is the fentanyl issue. That really affects every part of our community, and it affects our, our businesses uh, and our families. I think the most. And you know, just to give you an idea of where we're at currently this year, we've seized over 30,000 pills of fentanyl. That's just what we seized, um, which is an 897 percent increase over 2021, and is over double what we were at the end of last year. Fentanyl is, is, is king in our community, and it's causing and creating all kinds of havoc for not only our families, which I think our, our children is, are the ones that are really suffering from that. But businesses, you know, like uh, Mr. Doyen said, a lot of those folks that are addicted to fentanyl, they, they resort to different types of crimes. And what, what's the easiest type of crime a lot of times is shoplifting and theft, Stealing everything from people's out of their yards. You know, Those are lawnmowers. We're amazed at what people take. I mean, it's amazing. Um, but with that, I, I, my time is up and I'll uh, turn it over.
1: Thank you, Captain Moccasin. Next up is Assistant Fire Chief Mike McIntosh. <clears throat> Thank you, everybody, for having me here today. Um,
6: Fire Department is a little bit different than these other gentlemen that are up here when it, when it comes to crime. I am going to try to do my best to touch that all together and kind of tie it in on how we as the fire department are are interactive on the crime side of it. As we talk about the mill levy and the bond, there's a couple of important issues that the fire department is looking at, and I'm going to touch on all of these kind of on a business aspect. So we're really looking at a staffing issue, a response issue, and an insurance issue. And luckily for me that we're we're here talking about business as the assistant chief in charge of the prevention side of the fire service, my bureau, my fire prevention bureau is the one that interacts more often on a daily basis with the business community than our operational staff. So I get a different perspective on seeing some of those things. And so when we, we turn around and Mr. Doyen made the comments, in his opening remarks about the city slowly growing and the the city trying to expand and doing so in a positive manner. We as the fire service, we are looking at that and where we're looking at that is we want to see growth within our community. We want to see our community grow and expand and flourish, but one of the things that we're looking at and that we're running into is as the city is growing, we're not able to meet our response times to get to that growth. And so as the city grows out, the video shows that our, our, our response time is supposed to be about four minutes, and we average about six minutes, and a structure fire doubles in size every minute. With that, with the growth of the city and us not being able to re- meet our response times, we have to go into meetings with developers and contractors that come in and say, hey, we, we understand what you're trying to do we support your development, but unfortunately right now we can't support this because we can't meet the response times to protect your business if you, if you build that business here. So that's where staffing and response time is very, very important for the fire service. I want to take a minute and just kind of switch topics just a little bit because I think this is very important when we, we talk about our response times. And being that we're here at Alliance for Youth, on Saturday morning there was a working structure fire just a couple of blocks away from here. That was an apartment fire, a 12-plex apartment fire that was there. <clears throat> In that 12-plex fire, our staff rescued three teenage girls from a third-floor balcony, rescued another person out of the smoke-filled house, or apartment building, and got them out was able to keep that fire from spreading to other apartments that were right next door to them. While our crews were fighting that fire, at 4.30 in the morning, there was a car that started on fire in an automobile shop. That car became fully involved, excuse me, a pickup truck, and that became fully involved in that shop, and luckily the construction on that shop, that shop was airtight, that the fire did not get enough oxygen to fully consume the the building and it did not get outside the building. Why is this important that I'm telling you this? Is if that fire would have got outside the building, we wouldn't have had anybody there to be able to go fight that fire. We had one crew available. With the fire that happened up here in this district, we had to call for a second alarm, which is where we bring off-duty personnel back into work. We also had to ask for Malmstrom in Maine to backfill the city and help us out. Malmstrom, once we got crews in, Malmstrom actually went to the fire scene and was at the fire scene helping fight the fire here because our guys had already gone through four, five, and six bottles. And so they were taxed and they were spent. When this fire rang out at 4.30 in the morning, really the only crew that was available that was covering the city was the Air National Guard. That was there protecting us so luckily we didn't have two major incidents happen at one time because we wouldn't have been able to provide the protection that the city needs when we talk about businesses especially imagine a big business downtown if one of those businesses like when the set free caught on fire <clears throat> that building there that took everybody in our department to come back in to come to work when other calls happen As the video said, we have multiple calls happening at the same time. When other calls happen, we don't have the staffing to send to those calls to provide the services that are there. So that's where a staffing issue is really big for us right now because, as the police department has said, their call volume has increased. Our call volume has increased drastically and we're constantly running a multitude of different calls. I mentioned earlier that the insurance is a, is a big portion of the things that you guys are seeing as a community that really affects businesses as well. We went through an audit, we go through an audit every five years from the insurance services offices. And that audit ranks basically your fire department off of a, the services that it provides. We were at an ISO level two, we dropped to an ISO level three. Homeowners are now seeing an increase in their homeowner's insurance, but we've been told the biggest increase that people are gonna see is the increase to the businesses within the community. They're gonna see that on their their business insurance where that's gonna go up. So unless we start doing things within the community, the ISO folks have told us that every five years we're gonna see a regression in that ISO number which is gonna cause businesses more money It's going to cost our our local homeowners more money. So with all of that, how does the fire department and how does crime come into play with what we do and talk about staffing and response times? One of the big things on the fire department in regards to crime is every single fire that happens within the city of Great Falls has to be investigated. Probably about eight years ago, the city formed an arson investigation task force. And that task force takes part of, is my office in the Fire Prevention Bureau, the Great Falls Police Department, their Detective Bureau, and the Cascade County Prosecutor's Office. We have grown that to where we've also partnered with the Cascade County Sheriff's Office. Where this is important is arson is one of the hardest crimes to prosecute and to determine what happened. I can tell you right now, working with GFPD, I have over four cases that are arson cases that we're working on with them in their detective bureau. Years ago, we had two GFPD detectives that went through and received arson training at the National Fire Academy. Their workload right now is so much and they're so backed up in the Detectives Bureau that now any arson case that comes in is spread between all of the detectives. And I understand that their caseload is, is very, very big. And so a lot of times, if it's a smaller arson, it may take less precedence than a homicide or a burglary or a shooting or something like that. They have to prioritize what, we're, what they're doing. And why that is bad for the business community and the local community is, is because we can't get these people off the street and we can't get them into the court of law and we can't get those things to stop. So with the crime that we've we've seen with the increase of drug use and the increase of homelessness in the city of Great Falls, we're seeing more and more people start fires outside of businesses, dumpster fires, or they're camping out because they don't have a place to stay and they're starting fires and those fires are spreading to the local businesses. So that is a huge, huge thing that we're looking at. So really when it comes to crime, the fire department, you may not think of this as being directly involved in it, but we work hand in hand right along all of these gentlemen that are up here to go through on the crime side of it if it's not through EMS calls because of drug use but because of fire calls and arson investigations. Thank you.
7: Thanks, Mike. We'll now hear from David Dennis, city attorney. Thank you, and uh, good evening. The city attorney's office is sort of the the, the middle uh, piece between the law enforcement part and the municipal court. Um, we take all the all that evidence that Captain Moxon talked about, and the the officer testimony, and the officer observations, and the citations um, that they write. And we prosecute those. Um, And we prosecute roughly about 10,000 citations a year. About 4,000 of those are criminal citations. Uh, The criminal citations are typically um, DUI cases, theft cases, PFMA cases, um, and criminal mischief cases. And at 4,000 cases a year uh, with three prosecutors, that adds up to roughly 1,400 cases uh, per prosecutor per year. And if you break that down into 2,080 hours uh, in a normal work year, um, that allows for about 90 minutes per case. And 90 minutes per case... uh, means that they have roughly 90 minutes. And that is after peeling off all the traffic citations and, and other cases and administrative duties they have. That's 90 minutes per case to re- review each case, assemble the evidence, subpoena witnesses. We send out about 10,000 subpoenas a year. Uh, do initial appearances, motions, briefs, plea negotiations, potentially pre- uh, prepare for trial if it's going to trial, and, go, and, and, and try the case. Um, that's a lot of work um it's it's really stretched our office uh we are handling the work right now i don't uh, i wouldn't say that we're handling it at the highest quality uh that we should be handling it and i would say there are things that are slipping through the cracks and there are cracks starting to form and things are fraying around the edges and just as an example um with a uh, partner family member of use cases which are this the second Um, highest number of cases that we have in our office. If we don't have contact with a victim immediately after um, the offense occurs and then throughout the case eventually we lose that witness and if we lose that witness we lose the case because the case ultimately has to be dismissed because the witness doesn't show up for court, doesn't show up to testify uh, or we can't find the witness because they've moved. Um, and, and that's probably uh, the biggest stressor on our ability to prosecute cases well, is our ability to have contact with witnesses and contact with victims. Everybody here tonight has is, is, uh, mentioned shoplifting and theft cases. And I will say that Theft is the number one case that we prosecute in our office. It accounts for somewhere between 20 to 25 percent of the cases that we handle in our office. And I I would, my guess, and I'll I'll refer to uh, to Mr. Dunn, is that that number has gone up over the last number of years. Would that be correct, Mark? Yeah. And, And I think what you're seeing there is that People that shoplift, I don't want to call them criminals, but people that shoplift have become emboldened. Uh, They're emboldened because businesses no longer stop people from shoplifting. They've gone, because of insurance requirements and potential liability, they've gone to their camera systems and they've gone to, to other methods to try to prevent shoplifting and losses from shoplifting. But those cameras don't work. And none of those other uh, tactics work unless you can get that camera or that film and you can get it to the police department and they can investigate it and then they can get it to the prosecutor's office and we can evaluate it correctly and we can do a good job of prosecuting those cases. Because if we can't, then there's no consequence. And when there's no consequence... They become even more emboldened. Um, Captain McIntosh talked about having to prioritize their work and uh, prioritize their calls. We're looking at the same situation in, in the prosecutor's office. At some point, um, and it's and it's probably coming pretty quickly. We're going to have to start prioritizing cases um, and. We need to do a better job on our PFMA cases. We need to do a better job on our other cases, and as we look through the spectrum of our cases, um, it may very well be that we're going to reduce um, or put limits on the types of death uh, cases that we're prosecuting uh, on on shoplifting cases. So. I would say that um, in, in our office we have you know, a couple of ways that we interact uh, with businesses. Uh, one way is in the prosecution of cases like shoplifting cases. Um, the other way is the work that we do on the civil side uh, for all the different city departments. And we work with the public works department, uh, we work with the planning department, we work with fire and police. Um, every city department. When, when we are strapped for resources on the criminal side, oftentimes we move resources over from the civil side to the criminal side. And what that does is it impedes and slows down our ability um, to do the work for the civil departments that we need to do. And that slows down city business, and that slows down business, to be quite honest. And uh, with that, I'll pass it on to the judge. Thank you, Mr.
1: Dennis. Next up is Municipal Court Judge Steve Bolstead. Thank you very
8: much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> common theme here, common thread, I think, uh, started when uh, Mr. Doyen said uh, we have a expectation of a good quality of life here in Great Falls, um, I've lived here for most of my life. I was born here and I've had a great quality of life, a great upbringing, great schooling, everything else. But as you just heard through the last two speakers, Mr. Dennis and uh, Captain McIntosh, this, our Assistant Chief, sorry, Mike, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the system's starting to fray. Um, I think for many years, Great Falls has uh, done as much as they can. The city of Great Falls to make do with what they can because we have faced a lot of depression over the years. We've faced a lot of, you know, stagnant, uh, stagnancy and growth, a number of things. But you're starting to see this change. And I've heard different comments about, while well, you guys are just up there trying to scare people. Those aren't real stats. This isn't for real. This is reality. Um, and I, I'm here to check everybody on that. It, it is reality. We do have more people moving in here, and we don't have a system that can handle people moving in here. And so I think what we have to decide is whether or not we want people moving in here that are desirable, that bring in business, that work business, start business, bring their kids in, uh, versus people that say, hey, Great Falls doesn't prosecute things. Great Falls doesn't do anything. I'm going to go hang out there and see what I can get away with. Plus, we have a good, you know, supply of fentanyl. If that's the kind of community we want, then that's what we're going to be stuck with. As far as the court goes, two two of the major things that uh, we are asking for is for a jury clerk and for a uh, compliance clerk. Now, the jury clerk I will touch on briefly because it doesn't have a lot to do with business, but the overall justice. So, a person when they are arrested, when they are arraigned, they have six months in which to be tried. Uh, in that time period, you know, we have, as uh, David said, so many cases we got to get these cases in there, if they get continued, they get bumped down the road, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So then we get set for a, a jury trial, we show up, and we summons 30 people, we get three show up. I have to declare a mistrial. Um, so we went to 50, and we, we get 50 there, we'll get 12. Last time, I think we had a real good turnout, I don't know about the other day, but we had 25. The, the last time I, I did the jury trial, a couple weeks ago, but the reason why we're getting a better turnout, part of the reason is because my clerks are spending overtime and they're they're taking extra time throughout the day to call jurors on their own. They split up the list and they actually call them. And we get great comments from the jurors on that. They're so glad that we reminded them or else we call them and say, hey, your, your trial's not going tomorrow. We have not had the problem that district court has had um, that you've seen in the Paper in the news lately about uh, not following the right process. I believe, and after going to judge school a couple weeks ago, I think we're still, we have a good process. The only thing is we need a person that's dedicated to doing that. Uh, We just recently requested our list of jurors, potential jurors, and that is 5,000 people, and that's 5,000 people we need to make contact with. And when you're just doing this willy-nilly, of course, some things are gonna fall between the cracks. We try to do it as orderly as possible, but that doesn't always work. This would be following up with addresses, phone numbers, everything else to make sure we have good contact with people. Um, a lot of people do not want to do jury service, but a lot of people do want to do jury service. So we, we run into both. And then the uh, compliance officer is an idea. Uh, Billings has got one. I think Missoula might have one. Uh, anyway, a compliance officer checks on requirements of people, court requirements. Uh, Number one, it could be something as paying restitution. Are they paying restitution? If not, why not? Um, But a couple of the biggest ones and that we are dealing with right now with compliance and the prosecution office has to deal with it quite often is uh, alcohol classes after a DUI, which are required by the state, and violence intervention classes which are required after a partner family member assault or a domestic abuse case. Um, now those are mandatory so we have a great number of people that are doing it because it's mandatory. But the other thing is is that is something that I could be ordering if we could actually kind of keep track of these people for downtown vagrancy um, drug abuse. I mean, if there's a suspected uh, issue or if there's an issue of drugs or alcohol tied to the nexus of the crime, we can actually order, you've got to go get an evaluation, follow up a treatment. Because as you all know, doing the same thing over and over and over again is just uh, insanity. If you don't stop the root problem, which, as you've heard, drugs and alcohol, you're never going to get a handle on anything. And believe me when we see this actually work in practice, it's wonderful. There are people that I saw nine years ago that I have not never seen again. And I, I tell you, I'll be the first one to shake their hand on the, on the street and congratulate them. Uh, the other thing is, is with mental health. And we have a mental health court. We have a, only a few members, but it has been a big influence on people that are have such a mental illness or they are in crisis when it happens, you can't legally try them because generally they are not fit for trial, but if we can get them into a a course of treatment with one of our providers here in town and then we check up with that person on a weekly basis to start with, there's great improvement. Now that is something that a compliance officer could also do without actually having uh, the person in mental health court, because many times it's just a, a disorderly conduct where somebody is in crisis and they start screaming and yelling four-letter words downtown Central Avenue. Um, you know, it's not, it's not worth it for them to go through six months or a year of court for a $185 fine. But it is worth it to say, hey, you'll get a deferred. In other words, you won't get it on your record. You won't have to pay a fine if you go see your provider and bring me regular checkups that you've gone. They sign a written waiver of uh, privacy, and they will do that. And many of them are very grateful because they especially do not want to be in the situation they're in. Um, and I would also add that to many of our drugs and alcohol. The cases that are driven in court, as uh, Mr. Dennis said and uh, Captain Moccasin, their drug and. Uh, Alcohol-fueled every day. I saw 14 today from, from jail, 14 just this morning. And I had two that had mental health problems. I had, well, we probably had six at least or seven that were alcohol or drugs, and then a couple we don't know what they were doing. Um, and that's that's a Monday. It was Tuesday, but it was after a three-day for courts because we were closed because of this. legislature has declared that. However, that's, that's a typical Monday. And that, and that is not seeing the people that come in after that for open court. And like I said, most of it is alcohol and drug-related. Um, I guess the bottom line, what are we going to do for businesses? And I know I'm running out of time. Or how, how will this affect business? In my opinion, if, if we can get people from loitering, from hanging out, downtown areas because I've heard from many of my friends I don't like to go downtown because people come up and accost me they want money or they want this or want that if we can figure out why they're there in the first place and what we can do uh, the court can be a big part of that in trying to help get rid of that problem also with the uh, thefts to make sure that uh, trials go on time that they're efficient and that restitution is paid to the property owners or to the businesses. So with that, I will turn it over to Kelly. Thank you, Judge Bolstead. Now we're listening
1: to Ms. Kelly Pierce, the Executive Director of the Business Improvement District and the Downtown Business Association. Did I get that right?
9: You got it, thank you. <laughs> I'll
1: only screw it up twice, folks.
9: <laughs> thank you very much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity to speak on behalf of our businesses downtown Um, We all know that downtown is pretty much the heartbeat of our community. We've seen some extensive growth in the last uh, 10 years, really the last five years, Um, and it's really taking off, and people want to be downtown. They want to be experiencing the nightlife and the brunch and the weekends, and it's not just a, a long alleyway down Central Avenue anymore. We have a lot of activity happening and with activity, brings people of all kinds. Um, So we've seen a definite uptick in our homeless population and our vagrancy issues, our theft, for sure. Our businesses don't feel like it's important to them to be open during events when we have people that want to shop and spend money downtown because they can't police the, the theft and the shoplifting that's happening. So they choose not to be open during the Christmas stroll and um, the car shows and things where people are downtown and want to shop. Uh, they just don't have the staff to be able to to do that, and it's not worth it to them to lose inventory. So um, we need we need the support of the city. They've been incredible in the last year, knowing that we've gone through changes and we have seen an uptick in the amount of people downtown, uh, our homeless population that are just sleeping on sidewalks and defecating in alleyways not even alleyways on the sidewalk I got a call so the business improvement district is tasked with beautification of downtown so we maintain the flowers the sidewalks the the beautification aspects of downtown i got a call the other day that i needed to come clean up human feces off the sidewalk out front of their business and unfortunately my office is comprised of me um, so, <laughs> that's not a daily duty that I would enjoy to do, but uh, that's, it's the reality of it that people, they have to go somewhere and do that somewhere and oftentimes they choose our alleys or they're, um, you know, in graffitiing. So we have kind of overcome that with our murals that we've installed and tried to make the alleys feel safer. Um, We're working on getting some lighting in the alleys as well to light up the murals and make the alleys feel more safe so that those activities aren't happening there and they have to go somewhere else to do that. But unfortunately, they do go somewhere else. It doesn't go away. Um, So from a business perspective, our, our businesses downtown are really trying to be proactive and support the police department and the city because we know that there is... shortage of officers. Uh, We know that we can work together as a community. We have the volunteer police department uh, staff that has really been a huge asset to downtown and their presence is known and we appreciate all that they do, but we can always always do more. So amongst the business owners downtown, we're advocating to uh, kind of step up and help, but there's only so much A business owner can do because, like me, being the only one in the office, they're usually the only one in the So they have to provide for their family and they have to be in their stores working all day long and can't necessarily get out to volunteer. Um, But we do have a great relationship amongst our property owners and business owners downtown. Open communication uh, and I think that we all really try to work proactively together to find solutions and not point the finger and blame. Uh, So from a business aspect, uh, the the more help that we can get to help grow our business community and bring new businesses downtown, we have a number of projects that are in the works that are super exciting, that are just gonna continue to bring people into our downtown. Um, And I know it's not just downtown, but that's my expertise and where I can speak to. Uh, But we've got a lot of good things going in our community and it isn't a secret that Great Falls is growing and people want to come here for the quality of life, for our schools, to raise their kids here. We have, we have a pretty good thing in Great Falls and people should come experience it and feel safe walking around downtown at night, checking out a concert at the Newberry and then going out afterwards and not feel like they're gonna be accosted on the sidewalk on the way back to their car. Um, so we've, we've got some work to do, but we've got a good thing going, so I think that's all I've got.
1: Great. Thanks, Kelly. Now we're going to move into the Q&A session, so if you have a question, please come up approach the uh, microphone here in the center of the room. Uh, go ahead and state your name, and if it's germane to uh, your question, go ahead and say any group that you're representing, and and also, if if you want to address your question To a particular individual, go ahead and uh, state that up front as well.
10: Hi, my name is James Fenner. I live in the community of Great Falls. I've lived here my whole life 37 years, one and uh, The problem I'm glad that I just explaining the, the levels of how you respond to crime, but my question is there's such a backlog in crime right now that's being prosecuted. The community is already taxed. They are paying money out for crimes that aren't being investigated. There is no communication. I'm with the five C's of communication. There's no uh, calls back. There's no emails. Uh, I just went through an experience where I just got a call 45 minutes before this forum and a crime that happened a month ago. I reported a crime from Home Depot of felony theft six months ago. That doesn't get heard. It falls on deaf ears. So, I mean, all these details are starting to add up. I've, I've had a knife hold on me downtown because someone was going 40 miles up Central Avenue. I have a witness of that. The guy back, got back in his car, luckily. It is becoming seriously crazy out there. And online reporting, I would like to see the numbers before and after the implementation because you have a whole demographic such as disabled people, elderly people, children, that cannot make these online reports. So I mean, my question is, I mean, if we can run investigations better, I would greatly appreciate that because uh, I'm having to call back and just call back and it's like, it's very frustrating for me. Uh, I have body cameras. Uh, I had an experience last fall where uh, my brother got pulled over. He lied to the officer, Nelson, and he didn't check the ID. That's basic 101 police academy. And I had to go in front of Judge Steve Bolstead and luckily it got thrown out, thankfully. But here he is still walking the streets freely. Here he is falsifying police reports. Uh, something has to get done and I'm just letting it known that the taxpayers are already taxed. And to come up with 2320 a month is difficult for us too unless we clear the backload of cases and. Figure out what's really going on and run real investigations thank you
8: thank you mr fenner for your your comments and believe me it hits home i will tell you one thing and i do notice that throughout the community there does seem to be a little bit of a confusion as to uh cases um the municipal court handles misdemeanors and uh, so our highest misdemeanors are assaults, uh, but assaults with a weapon, such as you're talking about with the knife or anything like that would go to district court. Uh, furthermore, any felonies go to district court. Um, I'll tell you again, our, uh, I know our officers are doing what they can, our prosecutors are doing what we can what they can, and so are we, um, to do any more, we need bodies. And and that I mean that's the bottom line. Um, I know you'd like better investigations, but just like uh, Captain Moccasin said, they're already triaging. How they decide what you know what goes first? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But appreciate your comment.
5: Thank you for the question. Um, you make a lot of good points and. and you know, like we, we do have to prioritize our calls and our investigations, um, you know, when you mentioned the felony theft in at, uh, at a business, you know, we, we'd love to get to those, but we're, we're, you know, and I'm not trying to make an excuse, it's just a reality of... Yeah, it, it, eventually we may get to it, and we, that's would be our goal. But that's what we're faced with, with our our investigative services bureau and, and our patrol bureau, and you know we we recognize that that our community and our citizens you know deserve better, and and we try to do our best, but we're limited with what we have, and we try to do our best on those, especially heinous, more heinous crimes. Um, we spend a lot of time with those, with our homicides and our child cases, and. and and it just, you know, it takes a lot of time to do that, to get it from investigated to the prosecutor, and then the trial, and then all the evidence stuff. It just takes a long time. And, and that's where we're, you know, the educational part is it's not, you know, the numbers say one thing as far as the, the sheer volume of it, but the cases that we have to work take an extremely large amount of time per case. And, you know, I, I'm right with you. I think that, you know, we, we would love to be able to address every single one, especially the, the ones that you brought up. And, and you know, we'd like to do better. And that's what we're asking. But thanks for the questions. Good point.
11: All right, uh, my name is Jason Oldtop and I am actually uh, a resident of Great Falls. Uh, was not born and raised here. I came here with the military and been here uh, uh, off and for the last 30 some years. And I just want you guys to know, I'm, I'm probably gonna vote for the levy. I've had the chief of police, I've had the fire chief come and speak to my coffee business group. So I appreciate everything that's being done. I just have a couple of questions that come up to me just because of my social media presence and stuff. So we've had the change in the um, assessments uh, since uh, this was first brought up as far as the levy goes so with the assessments it adds about another three million dollars to the levy if you take all of that so that twenty three dollars that you guys are talking about for a two hundred thousand dollar home does that include the the increase or is that you know that's what it, it would be if the assessments were less i know you don't have to take all the assessments and i see the mic is passed the break so i figured he's going to be answering this one um and then um I've noticed out on social media a lot, and I know that's not always accurate, but uh, the people that were pushing the library levy now are against the safety levy. I have a problem with that because, you know, it was kind of put on there to have the library levy separate uh, to go through, and it did, and now they're against the levy because people are being taxed. They don't like that. And then, I don't know if we talked about tonight, I stepped out for a couple minutes, so we're talking levy but there's also a bond that's going to be there um does that 23 dollars include the bond and what if the bond doesn't pass i asked this question last week at a neighborhood council meeting what if one of them doesn't pass what happens i mean if we get a the bond passes and the levy doesn't we got an empty fire station if the levy passes and the bond doesn't we got a lot of firefighters that aren't um Going to be working, and I know Greg mentioned this last time too is that they're that they will, uh, uh it'll be a step up, you know, hey, what we need so it we'll won't be all immediate, you know, as far as spending and stuff. But a lot of questions, but just whoever needs to answer those, if you could, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question.
4: I'll start off with uh, just a quick background. Uh, The Montana Department of Revenue is the one that sets taxable values uh, on uh, individual properties that are uh, eligible to be taxed in the community. And they do that on a calendar year uh, process. And uh, the the recent uh, information that was uh, sent out uh, was using old data, caused a lot of confusion. It was very frustrating to folks that uh, administer budgets because of the concern level that it raised. Uh, when uh, residents and businesses get their new tax dollars, I think they're going to see some different numbers when they when they get when they receive that. So to answer your question, um, I am, I'm going to kind of phase the because it's multiple parts. You may not have known that, but that's that's the way that I need to answer that question. Uh, the first thing is that there we were given the opportunity to update the estimated impact in the actual levy question uh, by the county and we did update that with the most current information that was made available by the Department of Revenue and because of the uh, newly taxable property that came on the rolls this year it created a much larger number that could potentially be raised it is definitively going to happen that the city's taxable valuation will change again before any tax bill is issued that may contain an approved public safety levy or bond, because people will not, you will not see that until December of 2024. Okay, so it, we operate on a budget fiscal year that runs, uh, you know, through um, July 1st through June 30th. DOR runs on a, on a actual calendar year to do their uh, appraisals and so there's some uh, overlap and some information that doesn't quite jive really well so it's sometimes it's tough to have these conversations. The, the second part of this is that if the voters approve the levy and the bond there will be a phased implementation and uh, as I've shared with folks uh, the most difficult department to uh, implement the full levy if it were to be approved would be police then fire, then probably prosecutor or the attorney's office, and then probably court. And the reason that police will be so difficult is because they have a limited amount of slots in the state uh, police the academy for uh, new officers that is only held twice a year, as it is. And so it's going to take a while to run people through the academy to uh, come back and do their field training and uh, you know do their. Be viable on the streets, so to speak. So, uh, and then similarly, uh, there's a academy that the fire department runs. But essentially, that's the uh, process that will occur, uh, and it'll take two to three years for that to naturally uh, play out. And so, during that time frame, to get to another part of your question, if this passes, there's going to be a lot of discussion with the Commission which may change after the 1st of June Uh, they may have a different thought process on this but we're gonna have to look closely at implementation we're gonna have to look closely at the amount that we need in order to cover what we think we can implement within that adopted fiscal year and uh, as we've learned with the library we also need to monitor cash flow so if you've ever been to a city budget hearing you usually hear us whine about um, undesignated fund balance and why it's important to have that and why it needs to be at 22 percent. Well, all the revenue generated from this, if it passes, will go into a public safety fund. The commission will have to adopt that on an annual basis after a public comment and we're going to have to cash flow the expenses associated with that. So, uh, depending on how we approach how we're going to implement it will dictate how much will be raised. And so, you know, the question is, are you going to raise all of it in one foul swoop? I'm just telling you things are going to look a little differently during the next fiscal year discussion, uh, and um, I would probably wait and monitor that. I've been a little surprised at the, um, when we've gone and talked to folks about what's happening with public safety, they have been surprised about, you know, why is this coming up all of a sudden? But it's been the topic of conversation uh, since I've been here in 2008 at every uh, budget discussion that we've had. And uh, if you remember, we tried to pass a levy for fire and police in 2009 and that failed. And then when well, we took some action over the course of budgets thereafter uh, to try to address some of the needs, and we kind of dribbled in resources here and there, it's just gotten to the point where uh, what we've done isn't really sufficient, I think, sufficient to meet expectations. The last part of that, uh, now I'm just kind of rambling. The last part of your question, I think, was relating to what happens if one passes and the other doesn't. So if the bond passed but the levy didn't, we would still pursue completing projects associated with the bond, absolutely. And uh, if the bond doesn't pass but the levy did, then we're gonna have to be creative and figure out how to adjust with personnel in the existing facilities. And as you've heard me say before, The police station is an old parts depot you know a motor vehicle um, facility and was never designed to be a PD but they've made good usage of it years ago we tried to allocate some funding to the the fire departments to uh, upgrade the stations we allocated about 250,000 dollars all of that money went to one station and on top of that we had to close it for 14 months uh, because of the deferred maintenance that occurred in that and uh, we had hoped to complete all the four stations so that some of that, those bond proceeds could be used to update and make sure that the systems and the remaining facilities that we have um, are brought up to speed. And that's unfortunate. We, there was an actually a deliberate attempt on my part to avoid that very thing that I just said. It makes me quiver a little bit, and it's very personally frustrating. But we did the best we could with the resources that we had to prevent it, and it just wasn't sufficient. Can I ask the no, you're only allowed one question. Thank you very much. Any other questions?
11: You know me. All right. Um, so uh, I, I appreciate that, and. and you know, like I said, it was or even last week on 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 the the levy and stuff like that. But we have seen how the commission did uh, approve the full levy for the library, even though it gave them an extra seven hundred thousand dollars. Why don't you guys have you guys thought about lowering the the levies? Um, I know it's going to be different in a year when everything comes plays out, anyways. But have you guys thought about lowering the levy so people are thinking, well, you're going to probably take the full anyways? Um, I've never seen taxes go down, and I been around for quite a few years um so have you guys thought about any of that the that, the levies that you're asking for
4: so i'm not a, I, I think i'm tracking what you're saying but just to be clear it was the voters that approved a change in the city charter that allowed more mills to go to the library just to be clear on on that fact of it because there's some unique language in our charter that specifies the amount of mills that will go to the library And so, uh, again, there's an implementation question with uh, the library allowing them to uh, staff up where it was needed. Um, It's going to sound like I'm defending things and I'm not. I'm just telling you factually that uh, it is true when the library did share with the community that they would have to lay people off or reduce hours. That definitely would have happened. And um, what people may not know because they just don't follow all things city budget like we do, is that there was a additional allocation of $350,000 that came from the city's general fund to support library operations in the future that gets to stay in the general fund uh, to support general fund needs, including, uh, you know, public safety and, and that's a good thing the levy question itself when it comes time for the. Uh, commissioners to hear the city budget they will determine at that point what it is that they're going to raise and that has not occurred yet that will occur during the next budget process
10: Uh, I've heard that we have a problem with the jail overcrowding situation up into the point where officers will run the warrant check and the people are just released I know in other communities when you run a warrant check and there's someone that has two or three warrants Warrants are taken to jail. I'll, I know the system's over but it's becoming to a point, where do all those criminals go when they're slapped on their wrists and are let out on the streets? And some of them, you, like Judge Bull said, said, you cannot keep track of them. So we're becoming the wild, wild west, basically, and there's no structure to it. So, oh, thank you.
5: Uh, thank you, I, I can answer some of that. Um, when we do run into people that have warrants, uh, we take a look at what type, of a, what type of crime they have, if it's a traffic ticket, uh, you know, a, a minor misdemeanor. We, tr- we work with the sheriff's office to make sure that they have enough room for the people that, that are more dangerous to our community, like, the pe- you know, a partner or family member assault. We have to take those folks to jail. We have to take the folks that are committing, uh, you know, aggravated assaults and or homicides and those uh, violent crimes and we focus on that. Um, We don't, it's usually the misdemeanor charges that that go. I'm sure that occasionally um, agencies within our city may go, okay, you have a felony theft warrant. You really need to go take care of that because we can't just get you, we'd love to take it to jail It's very rare, but that just depending on where we're sitting at, at the day with the, the inmate population, and, and we know that we have to have room for, for those violent criminals to go in. It's just the reality of, of that.
10: Well, what I really wanna know is how that impacts crime escalation, because when you are not prosecuting the little crimes, and these people are getting away with it, and they keep escalating the crime, and they up the ante, and nothing's being done to nip it in the bud in the beginning, but then you're having this and I just, I'm, I'm confused, I'm, I'm Yeah, I, I, I can that understand fixed.
5: that. Yeah, I can understand that. The, the, the prosecution is still occurring with that offense and a lot of times we, we do our best to convince those folks that they need to, it's easier just to go into court and take care of those warrants because they may not have to go to jail to begin with they just didn't comply with something that, that now they have a warrant out that really it's up to the judge whether or not they do, but we we do try to get them to go to go. And I the warrant's switch system and was about three months. Oh yeah, it, it is very big and, and it's just because a lot of people don't comply with what the court is, is telling them telling uh, them to do and we work very closely with, with the judge's office. Um to try to address it, especially during the COVID years, that's really when it really started upticking, where we couldn't take a lot of people to jail to begin with, and we and this, that was one of the ways that we we uh, implemented that with the with discussions with the judge.
8: Okay, okay so I mentioned before that I, I get a report every day from the sheriff's office as far as the jail. This is before I go into trial, so that or I mean into court. This morning, we had 33 for the city of Great Falls. That's about 13 over where they really want me to be. Um, And again, like I said, I had 14 in jail this morning. Um, But I will tell you, so pretrial felonies is 194 right now. So those are felonies with district court and with the uh, Cascade County Attorney's Office. And then the U.S. Marshals Service has 119, which they are paying decent money to the county to hold them there and that's probably what's helping the county stay afloat with the jail because jails are a tough concern. But the other thing is there's actually 25 that are waiting to go to prison. So it's not just here, this is all part of a whole, it's all part of a puzzle that you have to put together. The state isn't doing certain things, legislature's not doing certain things, whatever, so it trickles down to the county. The legislature decides it's going to affect the way the, ca- or the city or the county can tax. That has a big effect on how we implement officers on the street. It's all part of, of the whole game. But right now we're approximately, it looks like, about 40 over what we're supposed to be in, in the jail. We're at about 438. Um, I think they're supposed to be around, I've heard before, like 360 or something. But I haven't seen that in many years. Um, but what does it have an effect? Yeah, those guys go back on the street, they do the same thing all over again. But I will tell you something. There are guys that I put up there for six months, and they go back out and steal again. And I'll tell you, I heard it once from a, a, a con on the inside that said, yeah, once you're in there, I mean, unless you don't get your mind straight, the only thing you're thinking about is that first hit when you get out. Yeah, that's where we fall into the mental health. Mm-hmm. Right, and I I will tell you that uh, the undersheriff who does a lot of the uh, jail business and uh, Captain Darby up there, and the whole jail staff, we work very closely with them. I mean, they give me these so they don't come back and tell me one day, we can't take any of your guys. Uh, now I know that's happened to our, our PD before they've gone up, they 've gone in the Sally port and they said, nope we 're too full. we can't take your people." Um, and I will tell you that in Billings right now, I do not believe they are jailing any misdemeanors because they're too full. Yeah, so I mean, this isn't just Great Falls. it, it 's everywhere, but if we become the lowest uh, point. We're going to have a lot of people coming into this community, and that's not a scare tactic, that's just what I've seen. Who, right now, in the state of
10: Montana, officially holds the highest crime rate? The Great Balls
8: Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, per capita, I think it's us. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it? You guys know? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. But, uh, You know, and I just wanted to add, you know, one thing here, and I'll shut up, but, um, you know, I I own a house in this town. I pay taxes. I pay property taxes, and, you know, my view personally, especially after being a judge and seeing things, is I would rather have my money go to officers, to people for insurance, to people that are going to be in this town buying products and, and doing things rather than sending it to my insurance company. And I mean, that's one way of looking at it, but that's kind of my way. It's the same as buying local.
4: So the judge hit on this, but I want to hit on it again because I've heard it brought up in many uh, forums that we've had about the public safety levy and bond, and that is helping people to understand the spheres of governmental responsibility. And we've been asked about where are you on the prevention front? Why aren't you doing more uh, pre-work to prevent people from going into jail to deal with mental health and addiction issues? It's because we don't have the capacity to do that, and local government is not the uh, arena in which that would best occur. There, so there's a heavy reliance on partnership with existing city departments and nonprofits and um, agencies that specialize in, in those types of things. And then secondly, uh, it's a great point. You know What happens to folks if you do end up putting them in a jail that's already full? And so we've talked a lot about the public safety continuum and that's a reality and that is in a different sphere of government um, responsibility uh, that, uh, if that occurs, then we'll have to work with that entity to address those things. One other thing I wanted to uh, just toss out there is uh, a good conversation about crime. uh, to, To have a conversation about crime is with your local legislator. In 2017, the legislature passed a criminal investment justice initiative, so based off of everything that you may have heard previously or even tonight, I want to see if this resonates with you. And this is a summary of that uh, initiative. It says, in 2017, the Montana legislature passed a package of bills that reformed Big Sky Country's criminal justice system. The goals were to reduce future costs to state and local taxpayers and improve outcomes for individuals in the system while maintaining public safety in our communities. I guess I would just ask, did that act uh, hit its target or not, and what the impact was on local communities? Mr. Moderator, yes, sir. Back to you. <laughs> I
1: think we've got another another customer.
12: Hi, my name is Doug Darko. I've pretty much lived in Great Falls all my life, except for about an eight-year hiatus in Missoula. Um, I guess my first—I have two questions. One is, you just kind of answered it with the state legislature. How much money do you get from the state? And is there any money that comes in from federal government? Just watching the news lately, we're just sending money all over the world. Um, We need to take care of stuff at home here is my own personal philosophy. So my first question would be how much, is there any money coming in from federal government? And is there any money coming in from state? And I think Mr. Doyle and I've talked at a couple of meetings, um, neighborhood council meetings about Video. Um, and all I get is, oh no, that's against state law. Video is kind of um, being in an education and some, a couple other times. Video is something that really works. And a good example is um, the officer might remember it, a police might, or the fire too. I'm bringing my daughter home from East Middle School. I'm going to turn on 26th Street to take her out to Castle Pines. If she would not have screamed at me, she screamed and I looked up and a girl was coming up 26, not a girl, a lady coming up 26 the wrong way. How I escaped from getting hit by that lady is totally amazing. And she if she would have hit me, I probably would have lost another grandchild because she would have T-boned my grandchild's door. So I mean I'm trying to do all my stuff I know how to do because I've been in confined, I know the confined stuff. I worked in an industry where it was confined spaces. But this didn't hit me till later that night that I almost, you know, lost another grandchild. And the first thing the officer said when I got out, I went up to make sure the guy was okay because she flipped her truck right over a truck in front of us. And when I went up, I was kind of checking on her, but this lady, she was not there and so I went to the guy and he was okay. He had a little kid and I was really concerned about that and I'm walking back and an officer finally came over to talk to me and they already had my granddaughter pulled to the side talking to her and one of the first things I heard was, go over to the bank. One of the officers said, went to the bank to look at the video. So they did have video of that, and I did get some contact on that, but um, you told me the state legislature said that's legal to do. I I don't understand why it's illegal to put that out, and you can do it in businesses and, you know, in schools and other things. I think it would be a great, you know, it would help law enforcement, I think a lot, if they had to have videos of it. And I know you don't have enough people to watch the videos and do it, but you would have some record to send to the court.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Traffic cameras are prohibited by law. We can't use them, and that would take a change in law by the state legislature. They do have a cool program, though, if you have those ring doorbells, and you have, it captures video. You could let the police department know about that, so if there's an event up there, they might knock on your door and ask you for your video uh, footage. Excuse me, to answer your prior questions about funds that come in outside of general taxation, that's a great question. I'll tell you that the city of Great Falls does not raise enough property taxes alone outside of its entitlement share from the state of Montana to cover its expenses related to current public safety costs. So without the entitlement share that includes gambling revenues and liquor uh, sales and those types of things uh, from the state, we wouldn't be able to cover our operating needs in the general fund which is majority of it is public safety. The departments have also been very active in trying to utilize grants whether it be a state grant or a federal grant. Fire Department's been very successful with their grant efforts uh, being able to get very large pieces of equipment uh, and as does the police department with uh, smaller type items but uh, we've definitely exercised that and it's not really a good way to rely on rotating out your equipment and replacing that in a timely manner, but it is used when, it, when it's um, appropriate to do so. And then lastly, with the last ARPA allocation, the city used over almost 13 million dollars to do rehab and fire stations and also to construct, a, uh, we will be constructing a PD evidence building and doing a court remodel with that funding, so instead of that coming out of a request to the taxpayers, it's going to come out of that allocation.
10: Uh, this question is uh, for going on Uh, I know Cascade County Sheriff's Office they implemented body camera footage is it against state law or is it in the levy for the Great Falls Police Department to follow suit and get body camera footage thank you it's
4: certainly not illegal it's uh, it's doable it takes quite a capital effort to get there and I think uh, one day uh, in a budget discussion near you that that will come up again uh, to implement that, but it's a matter of timing and having the right amount of money to do that.
1: Anyone else? Okay, well, I want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, coming and sharing your your knowledge with us. Thank you all for showing up, uh, caring about this community, and regardless of how you feel, uh, please, we encourage you to get out and vote on the 7th of November. So. Thank you all for coming and thank you for everyone that uh, joined us online.